Welcome to this Business of Music and Poetry podcast, where the life of a creative meets the real world. I'm Michael Amaday, host World Poetry Open Mic, The Michael Amaday Show, author of more books than I should mention, musician, poet, and above all, creative entrepreneur. My collaborator and conspirator in this project is Clifford Brooks, founder of the Southern Collective Experience, host of Dante's Old South on NPR, poet and author of The Draw of Broken Eyes and Worldly Metaphysics, Exiles of Eden, and Athena Departs, The Gospel of a Man Apart. Our guest today is poet Clay Matthews. Clay Matthews has published poetry in journals such as the Southern Review, Diode, Canyon Review, Gulf Coast, and elsewhere. His most recent book, Shore, was published by Cooper Dillon Books. His other books are Superfecta and Pretty Rooster. He currently lives in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and teaches at the Elizabethtown Community and Technical College. Now, my favorite quote from a review of Clay's work comes from Michael Meyerhofer of the Atticus Review, who said, Reading his poems fills me with much the same awe I'd imagine I'd feel if I chanced upon an 800-pound gorilla deftly folding origami cranes to give to children after carving an ice sculpture and overhauling a tractor engine in record time. So yeah, I'm a fan. Without any further ado, here's our interview with Clay Matthews. Well... Today we have for you the famous, the infamous poet, professor, and gentleman, Clay Matthews. Clay, how are you doing, boss? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Uh, what are you up to these days? How are you staying sane in the days of Rona? Uh, well, you know, I, uh, I've been kind of teaching, so I spent a lot of time kind of reading students' essays, things like that. <clears throat> spend time writing, kind of trying to stay physically active. And, uh, you know, in, in a certain sense, I've always kind of uh, kind of been enamored with the idea of, uh, of an apocalypse, Armageddon, anything else. And so this is a very, uh, a very tame version of that. And so I've, uh, I've kind of um, been, you know, it, it's, it's been enjoyable for, for me personally in a lot of ways and just, uh, as it's kind of, um, you know, giving me some, some time and space to, to reflect and, and just kind of be so. That draws up a interesting point that I want to talk about that I don't think, well, I haven't, I know somebody probably has, but I haven't talked about on the show. Um, the, the solitude that the quarantine enforced us all to get on board with the artists seem to be those who, could get on board with that fastest, you know, um, us being, we being such solitary creatures, um, taking that and turning it on its edge. Do you, I think, what kind of art do you think is going to come from this period of quarantine? I think, uh, I think there'll be obviously a lot that's, that's about some version of, um, of of the the sort of like the pandemic impulse, so to speak, like of of uh, whether that's like you know viral or just something kind of like this sort of sweeping um, momentum that kind of is moving through something. It's uh, yeah, I'm curious to see too, like kind of what 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 shakes out and lasts out of everything in it. But I feel like um, 
I feel like there'll be, you know, a good deal of the, the sort of introspective art that's um, kind of, kind of going within a little bit more. And, uh, and I think that's, it's at least it, like for me looking at like, you know, some students and other stuff, it's, uh, there's a, there's a lot of people that um, get to a place in their life and they haven't really looked at themselves or examined themselves at all. And uh, so, so I, I imagine like quite a bit of the art will be um, sort of um, self-exploration kind of and uh, the, the kind of Whitmanic vein, you know, so to speak. Well, let's be more specific and talk about what you are working on during quarantine. Tell us a little bit about this and uh, Main Street Rag. Um, yeah, well, I've got a, a new collection coming out uh, with Main Street Rag. So I've been kind of going through and editing some of those poems there. Their poems, some of the poems were written, you know, like well over a, a decade ago. And so um, some of them are a little bit more uh, recent. Uh, it's a, uh, the book's called uh, Four-Way Lug Wrench. It's, it's uh, I mentioned Whitman a minute ago. It's got an epigraph from, from Whitman, uh, Song of the Open Road, which uh, I, I know you're a fan of too. And uh, Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's been good to kind of go back to, to some of these poems. I've had many poems over the years that had either something to do with a road or a motor or the kind of the impulse to, to kind of just drive and, and probably even self-destruct a little bit. Um, and so uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's been, it's been good to kind of go back to some of those older poems and, and rework those. And then, uh, and then I'm, you know, still always kind of, trying to work on, on newer, newer work, which has uh, been mostly like Psalms of like kind of, of trying to, <clears throat> to recreate the impulse, not so much the, the kind of the structure and everything, but. Uh, what do you mean by the impulse of a Psalm? What do you mean? Uh, I guess to kind of uh, speak directly to, to God, to a higher power, to, um, to speak with, with reflection, with, with gratitude, but also with some real, um, with some real kind of questions, you know, so I've kind of, uh, kind of like been in a place in life where, uh, I, you know, I had a lot of, you know, kind of difficulties. And, um, so the, the Psalm is a, is a grappling prayer, you know, and, uh, and then I kind of went back to, to Dunn's Holy Sonnets also, which are kind of in the, in the same vein of a, of a, uh, an attempt to approach God both as a, as a sort of uh, benevolent uh, father figure, but then also as like, you know, someone you're, you're kind of trying to have a conversation with and, uh, and ask some questions. Now, I, I can't help but connect um, your talk just a moment ago about Whitman and this very spiritual, you know, lent both ways. And I like the way you explain what a psalm is. I've never thought about it that way. Um, you seem to have a, or and again, from the, the work that I've read that, that in which I was introduced to, you have a range and that you, you even have like illustrations in there as well. I mean, you, you, you kind of dip your, your, you dip your, brush in different colors of poetry you know i think i like the way that you make words malleable and so it, it prompts me to ask um how do you define good poetry that that's a that's a really good question it's one that uh 
that will honestly differ for me almost one day the next. That it's um, and especially with time, there's poems I read when I was 20 that I, you know, that were lauded poems and um, canonical poems, and everybody kind of applauded them. I didn't like them at 20. I thought they were, um, you know, pompous or pretentious or something else. And I came back to them at 40, and then I was like, I was an idiot when I was 20. These are these are amazing, you know. And uh, and in the same way, some of the poems I loved when I was a younger, they don't they don't speak to me the same way now. And um, so I think that the, the question of good for me is it's a fairly subjective question. I, I recognize that um, the poems that I like in a moment in time are, are not always going to be the poems that I always love. But um, but what the, like kind of makes the poems good for me in, in in the moment in the time is that they are they're clicking a, a kind of button somewhere inside of me that is um you know like poets like to use metaphors to try to describe this so Dickinson talked about like uh, a good poem feels like it takes the top of her head off like to me a good poem feels like uh my mother used to have these little um really intricate boxes where you had to kind of you know take different parts of, to, to get to some sort of secret interior and when I read a good poem in the moment it it clicks all those boxes open and so it's just like some space inside of me kind of opens up um in unexplainable ways sometimes you know i could i could put my finger on a pulse going on and and why i'm connecting to it a little bit but a lot of times there's something something more than that even something bigger for me when you talk about that thing i, I tend to talk call it uh the divine fire um <clears throat> Do you think that that's something that can be taught or it's something that's born with you? Uh, I, th I think it's both. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's like, I, you know, I know now, like when I'm writing a poem, like I can, I can craft a poem and craft a poem and craft a poem, revise and revise and edit and edit. But like some, some poems, I feel like they just, they don't have that kind of heart in them, you know? And so like I've, I've learned to try to leave those behind a little bit sometimes and um, and and to continue working on things. I might take something out of it, use it somewhere else, but it's um, I, I like I never know when a when a, a poem, like a good poem is gonna kind of hit me and it it feels like an act of grace when it does. Cause sometimes I'll <clears throat> I'll be in a situation and as it's happening, um, I recognize like this is all like coming together, or I'll see a poem kind of in my head from all these sort of disparate things all of a sudden connect. And it's, it's like, I didn't, I didn't do that. I don't feel like I, um, you know, my, the, my schooling and my training and everything helped me recognize some of that, I think, but, um, but it's, it's not, I don't feel like it's mine, I guess. Right. It's, it's I like that idea because I, I've come across it as well, where not to be any kind of braggart, I feel like I preface this all the time, but if what I hear what you're saying is true, like you, you're doing something in poetry and then you've taken a formal class on it and learn, oh, that's called something. That's a thing that, you know, but it just came natural to you. Is, is that what I'm saying that you've heard sometimes or how you felt? Uh, to a certain degree. Yeah, I think so. Like it's, um, and, uh, I mean, some of the, the the music, you know, of the like, exactly we, we talk about the year in poetry, and um, and that you know is is something that I feel like I've 
I've had a, a real interest in the musicality of language since I was little, but it's just, um, and so, um, but then, you know, like kind of learning how to, uh, the effects of some of those things, you know, so like learning, like just how, you know, so you learn like what a spondee is and how that can really just stop somebody in their tracks in some ways. And, and then you kind of do that intentionally. Um, and it, it's, you kind of like build this, this toolbox, so to speak of, um, I guess, you know, you use the, the metaphor of a carpenter. It's, it's really natural to pick up a hammer and swing it, you know, but it takes, it takes some kind of practice to, 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 to work out the nuances of it and, uh, and to hit the nail on the head consistently. One of the best answers ever, ever. We're going to clip that and put it in the best of. You're in there, Clay. You're in there. Mike, why don't you come on here and quit being lazy, brother? What's up, man? Well, that, <laughs> well, uh, you know, I think what I'm, what I'm hearing you talk about, and I, I also come from the angle of, of writing music. And so writing music sounds so similar to what you're describing, right? So it's, it's, you're talking about hearing the heart in something. And I, I wanted to address that first, which was, I think I, I find the songs that I consider the best songs, the greatest songs ever written, which I try to surround myself with on a regular basis. They're the ones that seem to have a, uh, an inherent kind of magic or, or heart to them. It's kind of like the, the person who wrote that song, at least for that moment, was really tapping into something. And I, I, um, and I think it's more about learning how to be a conduit. So you're talking about art. You're kind of figuring out, well, how do I remove the blocks in myself as an artist from the most true expression of what this should be? Um, what is your What is your view on that? I mean, am I? Do you think I'm crazy, or what is What is your uh, What's your take on on the the idea of craft to get yourself out of the way, essentially? Um, I would agree with that. I mean, so um, you know, I've from book to book or kind of project to project, I try to intentionally put some, some parameters on myself sometimes that are going to like force me out of whatever thing that I'm working in. It seems to be kind of doing okay, working well, um, because I, I don't, I don't want to get like stagnant in that, in that thing. Um, because I do feel like they're, um, it's, it's easy to, to say, like, I did something well with this. I could keep doing this again and again and again, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep being successful, but it's not, it's not going to quite do it like it did the first time. It's just going to be a, a sort of a mirage of that, that first thing that, that I did somehow when, when I wasn't really even trying to do it. And so, um, so I, you know, at one point I got where I was writing these really long poems and I couldn't stop. I couldn't write a poem under like three pages. And so that's when I got into Pretty Rooster, which is a collection of sonnets. And I said, I'm going to write sonnets like for several months and, uh, and I'm going to do them in syllabics and I'm going to do, you know, English sonnets. And, um, and so that, that change in craft sort of like forced me into some stuff and to into some surprise and everything else that I wouldn't have gotten to otherwise. I could have just, I could have just kept doing the thing that I was doing. You know, and a lot of the poems were getting published. They were doing, uh, they were doing all right. But I, I knew, like, I knew for myself at least, for um, you know, Auden called it like the censor, the, the, this kind of thing we have in writing, and like that I wasn't, I wasn't doing the thing that I, I wanted to do somehow. Like in my 
my writing was okay, was successful, was doing like fine, but I was just like, I needed to break out of that somehow. And so, um, so, so like, like pushing outside of form or like going elsewhere to look for, for something else, um, were all kind of like ways to try to, to I don't know, I guess to strike lightning and somewhere else maybe, or, um, to, to just grow also and, and you know, and learning and appreciation for that. I, I can see exactly what you're saying. In a way, it's um, if you if you stop having that drive to develop and to uh, to do something new and different, find new ground. It, you're you're kind of relinquishing part of that. What makes you an artist, right? Uh, but on the other side, and this has been a big theme that's been popping up for me in a bunch of conversations over the last few weeks, which is that constraints equal freedom. Uh, and, you know, but if, if it's just an open horizon, I mean, we, we tend to kind of just tuck back into things we already know, but a certain constraint really can help push us forward. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely agree with that. And it's surprising, you know, that it, um, that it kind of, uh, that it, that it works that way. You know, I was thinking of the, uh, Marianne Moore kind of mentions that in, in a certain poem that I'm, I'm losing here at the, at the moment, but, um, but it's basically this, this sort of metaphor of, of recognizing that there's a certain freedom of being in the cage, you know, like it, once you kind of like recognize that and, um, and can, and can appreciate that, uh, that you can, you can kind of work your way within those constraints and understand them. And, um, because you're, I think you're absolutely right. When you don't, when you're not kind of like intentionally working outside of, of things, and you approach a sort of blank canvas, a lot of times it's not blank. It's, it's the default that's in your head that you're going back to, you know? And so, um, so I've, I've found to, to be really intentional about like form or, or trying something new or anything else. Uh, even if it's a failure is a, is a chance for growth to, to get outside. I'm making a note of that, by the way, I'm going to, I'm going to put that up right. on my, my desk there. Cause that's, that's a, just a great way to say it. I'm telling you, man, it's one of the most quotable shows ever. I'm trying to take notes, even though I know it's recorded. Um, Clay, let me ask you, how how do you go about editing your poetry? Uh, so, I, I mean, I edit a lot in the process of it. I kind of go through, I, I work my way through it. Um, there's a few, like, edits that I know about myself now, personally, that, that I always have to... So the first, like, one to five lines of a poem. I, I have to always go back at least a week later and look at those and say, are those lines even necessary? Or are they just your sort of like vehicle under the poem? And then you, you actually start somewhere down a little bit further. Um, right. And then uh, also kind of looking at the end, you know, in the same way, like I tend to, uh, I mean, I tend to like a lot of like, almost wild freedom in a poem because I think that's where you find a lot of stuff that, that you wouldn't find otherwise. But um, sometimes I tend to, to end where, you know, there's um, there's a bird underfoot, so to speak, and I, I stomp on it and versus kind of um, like letting the bird up right there um, at the moment that I recognize it's under my foot. And so it's... Um, so the, like the beginning and ends, especially kind of cutting pieces out. Um, and then there's a lot of poems I write that I just kind of 
Um, I give them, you know, a little time and then I'll, I'll kind of say this, this is just not working now. Like, I don't, I don't know if it ever will. And, and then I'll usually try to go back to them a year, sometimes two years later and see if there's anything good in there. Uh, sometimes there's, there's a surprise, you know, but a lot of times it's just like, no, it's, it's got some nice turns of phrases and it's, it's interesting, but it's, it's not, it's not kind of fulfilling whatever it is that I'm looking for. Well, let's get a little off base here. I like this question. Clay, what makes you happy? <clears throat> uh, you know, there's a lot of things that make me happy. Um, kind of waking up and uh, the, the morning anymore, kind of starting my day, like um, a, a cup of coffee in the morning, bird song, sunshine, like, a lot of the the really like the cliches of the world of just kind of um, being alive and uh, and appreciating the kind of uh, the people around me, um, the people that I kind of have uh, to 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 interact with in all sorts of different ways in my life. Um, it makes me happy to like to read my like students' work, you know, like to. Uh, there was a time like I, I graded and I sort of dreaded it, you know, and, uh, but it's, I feel privileged to re like read the words of, of young people like all day long, you know, and it's, uh, um, and just kind of like work makes me happy really like physical work of kind of, uh, I mean, so teaching is a, a job where you, you never really know like what you're doing. I mean, you, you can study and read and everything else, but the, the product of whatever you're, you're trying is not really about you. It's about somebody else. And so it's out of, out of your hands, but um, kind of, you know, you cut a board and it either, either fits where you were trying to put it or it doesn't fit. And there's something kind of rewarding about learning the patience of that. Uh, at least there has been for me. All right, man. All right. Now you mentioned teaching. Where do you teach? Uh, I teach at Elizabethtown Community and Technical College. And All right. And what makes you keep on keeping on loving teaching? Well, I, I've had a, a little bit of a, a, a break. So, like, um, so I had, a, you know, like maybe a year off or so. Um, and coming back to it, um, what what makes me really enjoy it is sort of what I would just mention is to – um, for me, like the teaching of writing is, is not something that I can kind of stand up there and lecture and tell you like, this is how you do this, go do this. Um, it's, it's a skill. It's a practice that like, they have to kind of like play around with words to, um, to kind of try to get to the, the essay or whatever else they're, they're working to get to. But, uh, but just to hear, um, just to hear students like voices and, and then the, the, when the, there's moments when they genuinely kind of like interact with, with the assignment, you hear like a real voice on the other end and, right. uh, and they recognize that too. It's, uh, it's a, it's pretty powerful to, I mean, the communication between humans is, is, uh, kind of amazing stuff. Right. Right. It's where, when you, where did you first find your love of words? I know that's kind of a go-to question, but when was it, was it music or was it poetry or 
Which one of those caught you first? Uh, probably like a little bit. It, I guess it was music first. Is <clears throat> although I say that, and <clears throat> excuse me, um, the, uh, the the poetry of, of children's books, I think, is something that was was instilled in me in lots of different ways. I mean, I was blessed to have parents that that you know read to me and. And so the 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 music of, of those stories um, stuck with me. But I used to go to sleep every night with uh, Garth Brooks on the radio. You know, like it was right when CD players came out. And so, yeah. Um, it was one of my first CDs, and it's like that's what put me to bed every night. Is just you know, like no fences on repeat. Right. Over <laughs> you know? And so it was. Uh, so I think part of the, the, the music of that uh, stuck with me. All right. Now, what books do you have out already? You mentioned Pre-Rooster, but what, what, what books do you have out already that we can look for? <clears throat> uh, I've got my first book's out of print now. It's Superfecta. Um, but uh, I have a, a long book runoff from Blazebox books and um, – just four long poems, one for each season. And then there's Pretty Rooster, as you mentioned, the collection of sonnets. Um, and then the, the last book was Shore, and that's a, a tragedy um, about floods, so to speak. All right. Now, what books, like, I mean, in the future, like five-year plan, what are some dream projects you'd like to work on? Um, I have another manuscript I've, I've been sending out for a while, um, and it's uh, – I feel like it's kind of where it needs to be. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm working on a collection. I say I'm working on a collection. There's no like a definitive, um, form to yet or anything else, but trying to kind of grapple with, uh, you know, dealing with cancer in the last year and, um, and just, uh, the, the sort of, um, the, the spiritual, the divine, so to speak, some uh, some versions of all those things. All right, all right, Michael, do you have anything? Well, I'm I'm sitting back and just and just listening to uh, to all this. I think the biggest thing that occurs to me here, and um, as as I'm hearing you kind of talk about the things you're working on, is uh, that it is it's a never ending process, right? I mean, we, we talk about books, we talk about pieces, we talk, and maybe that's some project that feels like the crusade for a minute. And I'll be the first to say, uh, I am never a bigger basket case. And when I'm finishing a book or finishing, uh, like an album or something, I'm just, I'm like the worst person to be around, but the process never stops. Cause once you finish it, the next one just starts. Right. Um, do you, do you kind of mark, do you see projects as individual endeavors or is this kind of something that you don't anticipate ever stopping? I mean, I know it's not an either or choice, but um, what is your sense of that? I think uh, for me, it's both. Like, so I've had some projects that were very much projects. Like when I wrote Shore, I remember uh, I had all these notes for it. And like when I finished it that day, I knew it was done. Like the last line that I wrote, I was like, that's it. And it's, it's right where I want it. And, uh, you know, in, in a sort of ritualistic way, I went out and like burned my notes with a match and over yeah. a bucket, you know, as my neighbors looked on in, in horror probably, but, um, <laughs> but, 
you know, even while I was writing that that work, uh, I was I'd still have another little poem kind of pop up here and there, and and so you know the 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 bigger work of just kind of um, of writing really is is less about books for me and more just about the kind of the observation and the the kind of need to 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 capture this and create somehow you know to try to to be a participant I guess you know. Well, I think I think that resonates a lot with what you were talking about with Psalms earlier. I mean, and that's that's something I've I've kind of looked in looked at uh, a certain type of of piece and writing as as a psalm. And I, I think uh, doing a lot of work within the the church system myself, you know, either running music for a church and you know, I taught I taught for a, a church based school of music. Um, one of the things that I, I always kind of was honest about is that, you know, I've had a pretty contentious relationship with God sometimes, <laughs> you know, like I'm not, I'm not afraid to like, you know, try to try to throw it back, but I think Psalms can do that too. And I, I um, and it's that, that observation, I think, I guess what I'm getting at with this is Psalms to me personally is this kind of ongoing evolving relationship with God, with our existence, with the infinite. And to me, it's, uh, to me, it's a, a very powerful, uh, you know, a very powerful thing. Um, and I, I guess, do you, do you feel like that's, that's part of the unveiling part of the work we're doing consistently is with these observations, are we learning to see reality on a, on a, on a more clear level with less and less fog through these observations or are these just mind exercises that we're throwing out that we, we hope people enjoy? <laughs> You know, it's it's a I think that's an important question. There's there's been times even in the past few years where um, where I've really examined kind of writing and uh, and kind of question if I wasn't just adding noise, you know, into the universe that's seemed like it's getting kind of pretty loud anyway, and uh, and it's. Uh, it's, it's the great unknown kind of like, where, where does this impulse come from? Where does this kind of, um, when, when I kind of like hear a line or something like where, like, what is, what is the reason behind that? And, um, and, you know, like I've, I've found a, a lot of peace in, uh, in the last couple of years and sort of, um, surrendering, like, which I was, I was not that person for, for most of my life, you know, so I, uh, I kind of, you know, went full throttle with the world until, um, and, you know, in the, in the face of God or anything else until I feel like I kind of, you know, I got trampled underfoot and, and the, the humility I couldn't kind of put upon myself was, uh, put upon me in, in lots of different ways. And, um, but that's been, a lesson that, that brought me back to sort of um, to writing and communication in lots of ways, because it's, it's been this, this idea that, you know, like uh, if, if I'm only writing, you know, a song to God and that's my only kind of, uh, it's my only audience, that's a worthy audience to both for, for both parties here that to, to, um, to try to grapple with, some of this this world that we live in that um, is kind of uh, 
it's a bizarre world. It's, you know, it's like, it's just, it's completely odd that we exist as human beings and we kind of walk around, we drive cars and uh, we go to work and like we eat food and we just do all this stuff. And we just think like, well, like, yeah, why wouldn't we do this? And, um, and that's like, well, I can think of a thousand other things we could be doing or that, right. that uh, we might be like better suited to do even, but it's, uh, it's been, um, it's been a, it's been a blessing for me to kind of like, uh, just find like s- some of these, these forms that are really direct conversations, you know, um, because it's essentially, it's a, it's a ready-made ideal audience, so to speak. Well, like the, as you have an audience here, as we wrap the show down, how about you, could you read us one of your poems, please? Um, absolutely. Uh, so uh, this poem is called A Prayer for Hunter and His Family Who Continues. This foster mother prays for the soul of her grandson who died of a brain tumor at 17, rode his BMX bike without a helmet, played cello in the orchestra, and found Jesus two weeks before he passed after his second surgery. We're watching our daughters ride horses together, taking lessons, each of them struggling with the subtlety of harnessing so much power in their small hands. She homeschools this one, sees her potential even as her older sister went wayward at 18 and moved out to live with a friend she met working at the local fast food chain. I love her like she's my own, she says, and I believe her, and that the God we praise does too, and the quiet between the sound of a gate opening and closing, hooves thumping the soft and moving earth. Clay, that's amazing, man. Clay Matthews, man, that is amazing. Now, before we cut it off, um, how do people keep up? How do we keep up with you online, social media, whatnot? Uh, I'm on uh, Twitter at uh, Clay D. Matthews. Um, and uh, I'm off and on of Facebook. It's a, it's a tumultuous relationship where uh, I go down rabbit holes that um, – <laughs> And so, uh, so I'll probably be back on there at some point, but. Hey man, um, when you do let us know and we can add it to the description of this interview that we shall release. Um, Clay, uh, Michael, you have anything to sign us out with? Uh, I guess the only thing I I would ask Clay is, you know, um, if you could kind of briefly give a piece of advice to anybody who is a, uh, is an aspiring poet or is a poet who might be listening to this um, just to kind of close it out. What, what would you, what would you impart to them? Um, To believe that um, whatever it is you have to say belongs out in the world somewhere that you are, you are worthy to speak. Um, And, uh, and that's it really, you know, that um, just to, to, to trust regardless of like rejection or uh, frustration or kind of missing whatever mark it is you set for yourself, that the presence of your voice in, in the world um, is, is enough and is needed. 
both Cliff and I want to say thank you for spending your time with us, and we want to extend a thank you to Clay Matthews for a really thoughtful and lovely interview. You can find Clay at Clay B. Matthews on Twitter. You can find Cliff Brooks at cliffbrooks.com. Also, southerncollectiveexperience.com. You can find me at michaelamide.com or worldpoetryopenmic.net. The music for this episode was provided by the fantastic Justin Johnson. You can find him at justinjohnsonlive.com. The goal of this podcast is to give you ideas and tactics that you can apply to your own creative life. Go out of our way to try to bring you applicable things that you can apply right away. Remember to be courageous. Do the hard work. Conquer your obstacles creatively. Learn to trust your heart. For it's easy to lose your path in this business of music and poetry.